Hi, and welcome to the Austin Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm Ward Wilsey, and right next to me is my wife, Katie, a licensed Texas real estate agent. Austin, Texas is one of the hottest real estate markets in the country, and not just for home buyers. Real estate investors from all across the country are finding great investment properties, too. We're avid real estate investors, and we're here to talk to you about our portfolio and the ups and downs of investing in Austin real estate. We'll also talk about how you can take advantage of the Austin market and develop your own passive income real estate portfolio, no matter where you live. So sit back and relax, take some notes, because here comes another episode of the the Austin Austin Real Estate Estate Investor Investor Podcast. Podcast. That was super lame. All right, and welcome to the Austin Real Estate Investor Podcast. This is Ward, and I'm here with Katie. Say hi, Katie. Hi. All right, Katie, what do we want to talk? Let's talk about what we did this uh, this this weekend first. Uh, well, the weekend's still going on, but we... It's Saturday, should... and we're, we're actually just... I don't even know what day of the week it is. The college football game, the, the LSU-Oklahoma game is, is a blowout before halftime, so... It's that space between Christmas and New Year's that you have no clue what day it is. But but I meant the game's a blowout, so we're doing a podcast <laughs> real quick. Okay, so yeah, that's what day it is. We just got back from Houston. We went and um, saw the Texas A&M Aggies play Oklahoma Cowboys. Oklahoma State. State Cowboys. Yeah, OSU. In the Texas Bowl. So that was fun. The Aggies, Aggies won. won. Yep. Yep. That was a that was a good game. Houston was a cool city. Yep, it was a sea of burgundy. I would say. Yeah, I love the Aggie fans. Yeah, it's a it's a loyal bunch, huh? Yeah, we're just we we get to we get to go to all the the Texas college games and not really have a have a favorite. And uh, but the uh, the Aggies are a great bunch to to hang around. So we have our our Walmart Aggies clothing that we wear when we go to Aggies games. Pretty yeah, just stuff. to represent, especially yeah. at the Texas Bowl, we wanted to represent for the other Texas team. And then we took the kids to a couple of uh, colleges. Rice and Houston are right in the uh, Houston area. Yeah, six miles from each other. Rice is really like, I mean, that's that's the academically the like a top flight college, and it looks the part. Like that looks like you're at an Ivy League school. Real yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And Houston is cool too, although they have lax lax security in their football field. <laughs> we have been to many, many colleges. We try to take our kids to a college every town we go to, and we always try to get on the football field because we have three football players. And never have we ever set foot on a college football field. Have Not we? even close. No, I can't even. I mean, Boise I can't was even think. close. We got we, in but the we didn't sky get on, No, we didn't get on the field. We got right. like. We got like at a at a side thing where we got on the gate, like where it gets you in the field. But this was just we went right down the field. We were kicking field goals. We played a little, yeah, a little uh, two hand touch on the Houston Cougar football stadium. What about was it UT when we were able to sneak in the VIP lounges? A lot of the football fields have that where they have like their Hall of Fame. So so Boise, we did that. Remember Boise? We went yeah, to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but do you remember Fame. one of them? Was, was UT, UT. Yeah, UT. It's like we their alumni there. rooms. I think stuff. they I think they leave that open. And then Baylor, we went. Oh, and then and then TCU, we snuck into TCU's not only that, but we also snuck into um, <laughs> their alumni room where they had the uh, like the concession stand and everything. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so we make a habit of breaking and entering <laughs> college uh, college football stadiums. That's what we do. With we our do kids. no harm. We really are just trying to sell our kids on all the different experiences they could have at college. Exactly, exactly. So, all right, what are we going to talk about today? A little different, maybe not not all about real estate today. Yeah, maybe a little bit more about uh, how you get to the point of purchasing real estate. Yeah, kind of kind of building wealth in the real world. Um, cause I think there's a lot of, a lot of mis mis misinformation out there about, you know, do these crazy steps and you'll get rich and take on all this debt and stuff like that. So we're just going to talk about kind of our journey from, you know, being a couple of broke kids first married and hadn't having kids to, uh, to being in a position where, you know, we can, we can solidly in, invest in, in real estate and, you know, whether this is someone who's a kid out there who's just thinking about it, hopefully we can give you some advice that, that, or, or if you're, you know, in your fifties and, you know, still trying to make your way, hopefully we can give you some solid advice for, uh, for building wealth. Yep. So where, where, um, where should we start? Should we start in the beginning? In the beginning. Uh, we were very broke in the beginning, even though, even though I made a lot of money, you know, pretty much right out of, right out of law school. Um, but we got, so here's the deal, right out of law school, you went to graduate school. True. And I worked full time. Yep. And I worked full time during law school. We lived together during law school too. So then graduate school came, I worked then right as, pretty much right as you graduated, we, we were pregnant. Yeah. So there well, let's a... talk about like when I was in law school, I think the first mistake we made, you know, if I could go back and do things, I think we just spent too much and took out because that was the only time, you know, my parents helped us me out with college and, and part of law school, but we did take on some student loan debt. We did, but it really, I think in the grand scheme of it all, we, we weren't big spenders when we were 22 years old. No, we lived in small apartments. Yeah. So I, I think if sure if we could have avoided the student loan altogether, I, it would have been better. I but. guess what what I where I was going with that is what we would have done is right when I started making money, we should have we should have kept that lifestyle and got ourselves out of the student loan debt faster. Yep. So that like the the debt, and then the other one is is car debt. I think like we you know our our lives improved a lot once we stopped having car debt, and. You remember like kind of all the things we did to get out of out yeah. of car debt, like, and, and I guess that's like because a lot of people out there probably have two cars, like they're in debt, like you know, fifty, seventy five, hundred grand in car debt, and let's kind of think through how we got out of car debt because we had the the last cars we bought on credit were I think that Durango that you had and my my accurate TL, right? Yeah, but leading up to that, I mean, we we did kind of follow the uh, Dave Ramsey method. And mind you, we had four kids at this time. We had just had Maddie. Right. And When we started Dave Ramsey. Yeah. But we had bought the cars before that. Right. But that didn't matter. We bought the cars. Meaning that was the last time we bought cars on credit was... Correct. So when we started Dave Ramsey, we had car payments. We had like like big like I think I bet we spent one car payment. No, because we yeah, st- 
the yeah. Durango and then the T- the TL. That was with work. No, it was with work. They they paid for like we still had to pay five hundred a month. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we had two loans. Clearly, we're not remembering this was ten years ago. And we started Dave Ramsey ten years ago, and we did the snowball effect where we started with um, our smallest credit cards, and we, paid we those had off. a handful, but they were all less than a thousand. Yes, yeah, so we paid those off. Really we were buried in debt with that. Uh, we so you know you pay off the smallest one first mentality, yeah, and then you use that payment and you start paying off the next one, and then and so on and so on, and all of a sudden you've got. $500 or maybe $1,000, $2,000 that you're throwing at your Every dad. month. So you're lessening, and then, uh, you're able to make more damage on these loans. So right. we, that's what, that's where it came down to is. Right. And then, and then we also, what we did was, uh, I think a problem a lot of people have is they just, every two years they buy a new car and then they get more in debt because they're taking a car that has less value and rolling it into a new car. We just, we kept those cars until we paid them off. Like, cause the car loans were over five years and we were paying extra on them and we kept them. And then we had cars that were free and clear. And I think a lot of people, you know, one, one thing we didn't do was we didn't say, okay, the transmission blew. We got to buy new cars. We just we fixed the transmission. And when I think until you don't have a car payment, you don't understand how freeing it is. All right, sorry, quick break because I had to get our dog to stop barking. That's that's annoying. Yeah, so I was saying, I think it's not until like people just think that you always have a car payment. Like, no, you, yeah, you don't. But do you, do you, you know what I mean? To. Like, you're just like, well, that's one car. That's one payment I'm always going to have. But like, when you're 18 years old or when you're 16 years old, for some kids maybe, you have this car payment and you just kind of think that it's attached to you, like your hip or something like you always have to have it. It's the people I I kid you not like people I know that don't have one never want to go back to a car. No, I've never seen someone who's out of car payment debt who goes back to saying, no matter how wealthy they are. We wouldn't think about it. Well, first of all, I mean, no wealthy people have car payments. That's not true. I know. I oddly know a lot of wealthy people that do wealthy people or look wealthy people. Well, no, no. I can think of some of our friends off the top of my head that, I know that they that do very actually well. actually have money? You mean they yes. make a lot of money? Yes. And I, I just think that it's just, it goes the same for them, too. Is Well, it's a payment. It's a lease. So they trick so themselves So I, I get that. I, I get that. And it's a write-off. And right. so Like a lease is a bad deal, but it's not technically... I think you can work the system. Yeah, I don't think it's as bad. I wouldn't do it, but... But, right, just because we're not interested. But I do think there's a... You can kind of outsmart the system right, yeah. with that. Um, but anyhow, so we were able to aggressively pay down the, the car payment. Had I think if we would have tried to start that any other way, it would we would have failed. Doing the snowball and building up to it and getting this bigger wad of money, when you start to see that dent... It's fair. It's very rewarding. And here's here's why, like, because we'll get to student loans in a bit, because we did the same thing, kind of. But when we started paying, like, like literally, like over a thousand bucks a month down on debt, well, then once we didn't have debt, it was like, oh, well, we can just invest a thousand bucks a month. 
and and maybe we we loosened up a little, but we we like because we invest. Oh, don't look at me like we that. did not loosen up a little. Um, but we like we just not counting bonuses or anything else. We still like we throw over a thousand bucks a month just like in in savings. Yeah, and I think what it it did is I mean you take away say our car payment was six or seven hundred dollars. I don't even remember. I think yeah, and we times two. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's like it's like right. so we were throwing a thousand dollars. Got those paid off. So now all of a sudden we have say a thousand dollars plus the two car payments. Another twelve hundred dollars. Now we're throwing twenty two hundred dollars on top of the regular student loan payment. Right. Right. So let's call it four hundred dollars a month. Right. So now we're throwing twenty six hundred dollars a month at our student loan payment. And then and it's then, going towards principal. And then I started making a little more, so we started throwing our bonuses at the student loan once we were out of the cars and and then you know And once that's all done, you have we had almost $3,000 extra a month. So it put us in a position to be able to tithe, if that's your thing. Like, we weren't able... We did not think we could tithe before, so we didn't. Yeah, so if you if you go to church, like, I, I heard... I remember Pastor Bob at our old church in, in San Diego. He said something like 90, 95% of Christians don't tithe. And I remember thinking, well, there's no way we can tithe. Like, but you can if you, if you, if you get out of debt. Like, and that's what paying the money. And when you have it taken off the top, like right away, you never see it. It's amazing what you can afford when you just put it right there and you can't see it. Right. But, but just, just having that debt, paying it down aggressively every month, it creates this margin where now you're able to give, you're able to, you know, you're able to save and you're able to start accumulating wealth. And, and just full disclosure, to this day, 10 years later, we still loosely follow the Ramsey yeah. policy. Like, we pull out our budget, our cash, every single yeah. paycheck, and we try to stretch that. And do we use the card for Amazon purchases? Yes. Or for food deliveries? Yes. But So let's talk about that, because the card meaning... Debit so, card. Okay, because his, his, his idea, which I think is smart that we followed, is if you pull out cash... And you spend cash. You spend less. You spend less. Yeah. And compared to debit cards, compared to credit cards. Everything. I will say, I I think that he even talks about this. You actually spend, you spend more with credit cards than than That's what I meant. Than with debit cards. Yes, but you spend more with debit cards than with cash. A little bit more of an emotional attachment, right? Right. That's my cash and my account. But yes, you will still spend more with debit cards. Because it hurts to spend cash. It hurts to spend cash, yeah. So... Um, when I go shopping and I bring cash with me and it's very tangible. I can't, if I'm spending a hundred dollars at the grocery store, I can't go to one Oh five. Right. Because I have a hundred dollars with me. Right. Um, so we still do that. And here we are 10 years later. Right. And we don't have to be as crazy diligent as we were in the beginning, but it's a, it's a nice guide for us. And yeah. we feel a little hectic when we don't, don't do that. Yeah. Because we, 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 we get out of step every now and then and yeah. have to have to rein ourselves in. But the the um, a lot of people would say, well, the credit cards I make I make my money because I get my points or whatever. And right. I don't, I don't think everybody says that. And I, I mean, don't think anyone wins. The only people who win, my my parents win on that. I guarantee. And I was just gonna say, I do know some people that actually they take advantage of the system and. Yeah, I think you can. If you have so much money sitting there, well, and you can and, have an automatic payment and, go in there. And, 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 and discipline to to not 
overspend and and to pay it down every right. month but i i don't i just don't want to get involved in that game because i don't think well because they and they say that like statistically if you were to keep that money in your own accounts it, or invest the way you want to invest it then you could go buy your own plane ticket you would have the, the extra cash meaning, meaning you're you're naturally going to spend more with the credit card and if you just spent cash and invested the difference it makes up the difference or you spent the difference on vacations or whatever you'd have more right. money or you invest it your own way and you actually make a profit from that too right yeah, so, so it's it's safe to say that a very very small percentage of people can manage the credit card with the rewards and I don't wisely. Feel, yeah, I don't and, feel, I don't think we feel safe. Like I mean, I'm married to the most that. frugal guy in the world, and he doesn't feel comfortable with it. So, and uh, we really have zero credit cards. Not to say that we wouldn't get one at some point, but we only use debit cards. No, we do. The, the only thing I could see it is for my for my job because I I right. spend and then get reimbursed. Or it's annoying, like rental cars. It's annoying that they pull out eight hundred dollars or whatever, some stupid amount. Right, but out we, of my but we would never account. sit there and do like our groceries and like all of that stuff on credit cards. I don't think that makes any sense. No, because what happens is it, it becomes uh, this a bridge. You're like, well. The airline tickets are cheap right now for a Hawaii trip, so why don't we buy them right now with the card, <laughs> and then we'll pay it back off. with our bonus or whatever it is, right? Or we'll pay it back at the end of the month. Well, five more things came up. Totally. Like a broken bone, emergency room visit, x-rays, whatever. You know, like so many more things. And it's like, well, it's on the credit card, so we can just pay, make the minimum payment this month. Right, and then we'll pay it off next month. So that so that goes to because a lot of people would say the credit cards you use that for emergencies. What what do we do for? We have an emergency fund. We have cash and in in bank account. And I'll tell you, like that was huge for us. To me, that was my aha moment with all of this was when we got to our like baby little thousand dollar savings. Like you just had to have this little tiny nest egg. And I think we had some car thing come up and it was like, no big deal. We're going to take it from that. Not from our monthly balanced money that is down to the penny. Right. It came out of this other pot that was like, oh, like this weight off of your shoulders. Like I can afford this. Right. And then we just had to take the next two months to build it back up. Right. And then another situation happened. And now we actually have that little pot bigger because with... A family of six and two dogs and a cat we have more emergencies so it just fits our needs better to have it bigger but man that thousand dollar emergency fund was huge for me it was like okay i'm doing this because i like i like most people do i think you budget yourself down to every penny and the word budget made me cringe like that was a sore spot i still don't really like the word um i don't know why i have a bad taste in my mouth for that word (laughs) it's an okay word yeah thankfully we both splurge and we both make mistakes so when i'm feeling guilty about something i can be like well you did it too or you bought here you know so we kind of usually usually with gun purchases with me or books yeah he reads a book every other day so what else do you think um now we've proved i think we've killed it with you know, paying down debt. Get out of debt. Have an emergency fund. Don't use credit cards. Things like that. So then, like you, how else? Once once you're out of debt and everything else, you can start investing. And my my recommendation of the first place and to real quick, out of debt. 
this doesn't mean you don't still have a mortgage. You're a pre- yeah, we have a mortgage or rent, right? Right. But I just some people think that that has to include being 100 percent debt free because in Dave Ramsey I don't he does celebrate. Well, that. but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't he, expect it, but he does he, celebrate it. He does, but he doesn't expect you to. He doesn't. He he says don't invest until you uh, until you're 100 percent debt free, other than your mortgage. So he would say like, okay, once so we you, don't follow that. Well, uh, no, we were, we, we didn't, well, yeah, we didn't. Cause we were doing, we were doing the 401k even when we we're still getting out of debt. And the reason is, is we were doing the 401k because it, when I was at Wells Fargo, I got the match for 6%. So we would do up to 6% of my, my salary into our 401k cause we would get the match a hundred percent. And, and frankly, like if we hadn't done that on one hand, it would have been fine. But on the other hand, like, I mean, it, it was like. You know, an additional eight eight grand a year, or something like that, that we would have been tax giving free. up. Yeah, tax free. That we that had we not been doing it, so it's hard to give that up. Um, Dave Ramsey says, you know, and he's he's right to some extent that you know it, it doesn't matter in the long run. But I, I I don't know. We did it, and we were aggressively paying down debt as well, so it, it worked for us. Um, but once you're out of debt, you know, the first place to start if you have it is a 401k in your business, assuming they, or in your, at your work, assuming they match, because, you know, if you think about it, if you're making a hundred thousand and they match, say up to your first 6%, that's really common for, for businesses to do. That means if you put $6,000 in your 401k, they will throw $6,000 in there as well, which means you're getting a 100% return on your investment right away. And there's, there's nowhere else you can do that, like real estate, whatever. So you're crazy to, I I know some people will say, you know, I don't trust the stock market or whatever. You're, you're getting a hundred percent return right out of the gate, even if you just left it in cash. So that is a hundred percent the first thing. And that's like when you're 18 and you take your first job, if they offer it, you get it. You do your, and then you, Quit and you go do something else. And then when you're 21, you go to a company that has a 401k. You do it there. Like, even if you have an unstable career path, you do it every opportunity you can. And all of those little nuggets will add up. You know, one thing that, a word that like, I don't think I really understood diversification in the finance world, I think is important. Like... Yeah, I mean, but but here's the thing with the 401k. Well, I think, no, but the reason I say this is because I think it made you uncomfortable. Dave Ramsey would say, like, save, 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 like, cash, cash, cash. And you were like, I'm in wealth management. Like, I know that we need to be doing this 401k, which does kind of diversify our assets a little bit. Now we've got two different things going on. And now right. we continue to grow that as we right move on. But I think... A lot of people think that that's too sophisticated of a word for them, maybe. Oh, diversification? Yeah. Like... Well, I mean, all, all you're really doing... So so here's here's at the, the bottom line of what you're doing with, with a 401k. So you're putting money in and then your company or they, they hire a provider who allows you to invest in different things. And usually it's going to be a basket of of stocks and well fr- frankly you could just keep it in cash because that's usually one of the offerings but you want to be invested in some type of a stock portfolio within your 401k and they're usually pretty simple 
it's like you could do an age fund, which means it gets more conservative as you get older, which means it goes... So I like that. Let's talk about that for a second. Because that, to me, is like... That's a very simple way to invest. Yes. And if you do... And here... So here's... And wise. Here's where I'm going to start from. Like... Number one, a lot of people, we could get into real sophisticated arguments if I had a portfolio manager here about exactly right. what the right portfolio mix and is. That's why I say simple. Like, this is simple. like, this like, is all so, very overwhelming for yeah, so, 90% of... Yeah, so if you, were, if you were to sit there and look at your 401k and they had the age-based things, and they're usually based on your retirement, so you'd pick, like, when am I likely to retire, what year, and it would automatically allocate your portfolio according. So when you're younger... And you have more years towards retirement. It would be more stocks and less bonds. Because, more aggressive. And, and here's why. Stocks are, are that you're investing in actual companies that are likely to grow more over time. So the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in America, is probably going to grow over 20 years or so around 10 to 12%. Could be 10, could be 12, but it's going to be most likely somewhere in that area. Bonds, you're just allowing companies to borrow money from you and they're not going to pay as much, especially if interest rates are so low right now that uh, you're, you're basically just you're loaning them whatever it is, like say $1,000, they pay you interest. It's real low right now. It's probably two, three, four percent. And then you get your principal back at the end of, of that period. Now you're doing it through bond funds. But the the key there is you're not going to make as much as stocks with bonds. But bonds will be a lot less volatile. When 2008 happened, bonds actually went up in value because they were a safer investment. But they're just not going to be as volatile. So if there's a recession, you're not you're not going to see gigantic swings with bonds. But on the other hand, over time, you're not going to make as much. When you're young, you're going to want to be more in stocks because you're going to get larger appreciation over time. When you're older, it's okay to be more in bonds because it's you're going to keep your money. You're... And I'll say, when I worked at Nordstrom, I remember I was 18 years old, a long time ago. There was literally a box you would check in. There was three boxes. And it was like stable, aggressive, or moderate or something. I don't know. So, so, so just using those words, stable was probably mostly bonds. I mean, you're you're gonna get income because bonds pay interest. But maybe that's probably best suited for someone's aged or someone that's within ten years of retirement. Totally. I mean, okay. y- yeah, it's so it, you're you're gonna have mainly bonds in an account like that. It's gonna you're gonna earn a stable interest, but it's not gonna appreciate. But if there's a recession, it's not gonna go down. Right. Then you know, there's maybe it's intermediate. So moderate is probably sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds. So you know you're going to get some appreciation because of the stocks, but if there is a downturn, a recession, I mean, frankly, look, stocks, the S and P five hundred, on average, it goes, it declines ten percent once every eleven months. That's called a correction. So there's there's a buffer with those bonds. So that if there is a correction, it doesn't go down as much because likely the bonds may even appreciate in value slightly. 
So what that does is it protects you against the downside. And then that, that aggressive you you mentioned earlier. No bonds. That probably. It's probably 100% stock. So over the long run, you're going to get 10 to 12%. The problem is, is look, I mean. It's risky. In, look, in, in, in 2008, you know, 2008 to early 2009, I mean, you know, stocks fell like close to 50%. If you, if you were in the S&P 500 and you had... $10,000, it went down to close to 5000 right. Now, it went back up within, I think, two years. And doesn't two, that, that normally happen, right? Like, yeah, I mean, look, if, if there was no a... No one has a crystal ball, obviously. No one has a crystal ball, but unless there's a, a nuclear annihilation, it is going to go back up. But in the interim, people freak out. Everyone says bonds are terrible. You'll hear... I'm sorry. Everyone says stocks are terrible. They're never... You're going to lose all your money. And the reality is... When stocks go down, you only lose money if you sell. If you just hold on to it, it'll come back. And that's that's the way things are. But the, but human mentality, when 2008 happens, panic. panic, everyone sells. A lot of people, they may have been leveraged, meaning they borrowed money against their stock portfolio. So they're forced to sell, drives down stocks even further, but they come back. It's like a artificial mayhem almost. Like there's just... Like artificial is the, is the word. I mean, it, it, like two thousand. Funny, like in the hurricane here, we saw this is going to be a silly analogy, but there was a panic that we were going to run out of gas. Yes, but we didn't. But what happened was because of this panic and artificial freakout, every single person in a seven mile radius. Went to the same four gas stations and filled up on one day. Like every day they would fill up just to keep their tanks full because they were worried. as a result, the gas stations went dry. They couldn't, because they, they get filled, let's say, I talked to one gas station guy that was like, we don't, we get filled up once every 10 days. Right. And that is what it is. So it had nothing to do with, there wasn't gas coming or there wasn't enough gas. It was because every single person filled up within 72 hours. And there were funny repeatedly. things that back then, remember like- they, We were guilty of it. Oh, totally. Because we were worried that, that they were there was going to be no more gas. And you, like you remember, they did things like they they you couldn't use the um the 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 ATM machines there. You had to go in and use the machines, right? Like, and, and I think the reason for doing that was they wanted you to put like forty on it, and you wouldn't go back and and ask for the change, so they would make a little more money because they Maybe. weren't allowed. No, well, they weren't allowed to. They you know everyone was accusing them of price gouging. Yeah. And, and then you also had to go in there where you'd buy more more stuff or right. whatever. But, so but, but I'm getting you off track. But basically what I'm kind of getting at is like humans play a role in all of this, right? And yeah. So when there's a re- like mania when, when there's a recession, hysteria. yeah, when there's a recession or when stocks go down, it's always just temporary. And now if you're 80 and you need the money because you're retired, right. that's a problem. It's a valid concern. But when you're 20, 30, 40, and you don't need the money, it's a, like, Sit look, a, four, a, four, a 401k, you can't take out until you're basically 60 years old anyway without a tax penalty. So if you're 40 and your 401k goes down 50%, so who cares? Who cares? Now you're just, every time you invest, every paycheck when you invest, you're just buying it at a discount. And that's that's the concept of dollar cost averaging. If you just sit there and say, "I'm going to throw you know 500 bucks," so so say you did that, you're making 100,000, and you want to put six grand into your 401k, so you get that match, 500 you know every month, 
And basically, if the stock market goes down, your 500 buys more. If it goes up, your 500 buys less, but your portfolio has gone up. So just investing a little, a little over time, you'll make you'll make a great return. And just you see our 401k. Like when we first started, there's nothing in it, and now there's a lot. Okay, what about if you can't? Like a lot of companies don't do 401k because they're too small or they're too like there are different reasons why companies don't do it. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Like I, I couldn't do a 401k. I right. stayed at home. Right. Um. So what? Talk about what options do I have? So I, I can't do. Yeah. 401k? So so I can't do a 401k in my current job anymore because I'm a highly paid executive and we're not allowed to put money into a 401k. So. I'm in that position. And that's not just because you're not allowed to. There's there's laws that protect... That's what I mean. I'm, I'm not allowed right. to. Right. Explain that quickly. Uh, Isn't it like a certain percentage of your company has to... Yeah. I mean, basically, the long and the short of it is a certain percentage of your company's employees need to put money into your 401k in for order for highly paid execs in the company to, to do it. So that's a way that the... the the government regulates that it's not being abused, tax shelter type thing. Tax shelter for, for highly paid executives. I mean, okay. it's it's silly, and what it does is it targets companies. Like like our company, we just have a, we have a lot of employees, and a lot of them are hourly employees who, right. you know, lower income. Don't and, think and they, that they can. They don't think they can. And, right. and I, talk, I talk to our employees all the time about how important it is to do right. it. Right. But for whatever reason, they don't. And so that means our highly paid execs can't. In, invest in a 401k and that's just the, that's just the law okay. um, so you can't so now what, what do you do when you can't well at so, any level so, so for us for a variety of reasons you know we're we're doing real estate but it, what else we could do and we will do this in the future once our real estate portfolio catches up to our 401k you can do you can just open an IRA and invest in that you can open a Roth IRA and invest in that and the difference is a regular IRA, you pay with pre-tax dollars, meaning you get a tax deduction for putting money in there. A Roth IRA, you pay with after-tax dollars, meaning you don't get a tax deduction. But with a Roth IRA, once you withdraw the money down the road, you withdraw it tax-free. Right. And so we always, actually at Wells Fargo, the money that we contributed was was in a Roth 401k. So we'll get to withdraw that tax-free and that's the better way of doing it because you'll 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 look. There's people who will run the math and say that it's better to take the tax deduction up front, and you know. But odds are, if you're willing to just pay the taxes up front, you'll get all that growth and be able to tax the take the money out tax free. So that's going to be better, you know, in the long run. So and to do a Roth, it's like you walk into your local bank and say. You don't need a financial advisor, right? Not necessarily. No, you could do. Uh, you could walk into your bank. You your, could go your, online. Your banks usually have a brokerage. They'll be able to set you up with that. You can go online. You could do Fidelity, and Vanguard. I can start an IRA with how much money? Uh, they, they they're all gonna have minimums, but I would. Sorry, I accidentally cut us off. They're all gonna have minimums, but I would say that you know, with probably there's places where you can do it for five hundred bucks. Okay, well that makes it very. Attainable. Like I'm looking up here, Roth minimum distribution. You must t- take. Well, no, well that's that's, that's once once you turn 59 Deposits, and a half, the minimum yeah. distribution. But I guarantee you, like you know, the the largest providers, like 500. There's probably ones that do it for less. Um, it's very easy to set up. 
So that that's one thing is you can just do an IRA. Now there's limits on the IRA, and like I don't know 5, what 5500. 5500. I, I don't I don't know what it is this year because I haven't paid Annually. attention. But yeah, and there's and there's also like if you're older, you can do like an extra thousand or something like that. You'd have to look and check with your tax advisor. But then there's there's other things where you can you can do more if you you are a business owner like a simple IRA or a solo 401k. So if you're a business owner, and, and then there's things for some business owners like a deferred compensation plan or, I'm sorry, a defined benefit plan or something like that, where you can put serious money in on a, on a tax-deferred basis. But, you know, if you're just starting out in investing, if you're, if you're employed, you know, the, the 401k just makes the most sense in the world. And Assuming if you, you can't do it just an IRA. It just, it, it makes all the sense in the world for you to just start because, you know, for real estate, like we do, you need a large down payment. I mean, we're talking about you doing 25% down on real estate, which, you know, in most locales, you're going to want to invest in real estate. That's going to cost, you know, at least a, a couple I think there's, a, there, there are a lot of places that you can, you can find 150, like yeah. 150 to 250. You should not, I, I, I don't recommend for your first property that you do anything more expensive than that. No, because you're not going to get the you're not going to get the return, and 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 also like the more expensive, like the higher the mortgage, and what if you don't have a tenant or something like that? So that that doesn't it just make sense. Minimizes the risk, right? Sure, sure, but but it's going to take you a while to to save up that down payment normally. So when you're first starting out, you know don't don't fail to take advantage of that 401k and and putting that money away because it's easy it comes from your paycheck um and you know we've built up a lot of wealth that that will serve us well in retirement through our 401k right so i was um so so in summary in summary as far as investment or as far as far as like getting out of debt or Starting it all out. Yeah, get, get get out of debt. That's number one, and then number two, invest in something. And that's probably actually before that, you got to have some cash as a as a buffer in case you have emergencies, and, right? And you know, you lose your job, things like that. So you know, Dave Ramsey always recommended that three to six months of cash as a as a goal, and that's that's still what I think you know you should have as a kind of a minimum um, of just cash, but then you need to be putting, you know, a percentage of your paycheck away every month. And I think for most people, especially if you get a match from your employer, you got to do the 401k. You got now, that. I mean, he has said that now like four times. So I'm pretty sure he's passionate about it. I'll probably about say it. four, four or five more <laughs> times. I mean, I think you got to do it. And then you need to start saving above and beyond that on an after. So this is after tax money that you're saving and then you got to decide what you want to do with it. And if you like the stock market and once you filled up your 401k, you can take your extra money and just go ahead and keep putting it in the stock market. Um, you know, buy an S&P 500 index fund, buy an international index fund, you know, emerging markets if you like that. I'll tell you that, you know, what you invest in, I mean, maybe you'll get a little more, maybe a little less depending on on what you do, but just invest if if that's what you like, stocks. Now, I think real estate, for a variety of reasons, with those after-tax funds, is just a great investment. I mean, we get tax deductions, we get you know great income, we'll get great appreciation over time, and that's why we do the real estate investing. And and right now, also, we've kind of slowed down on the stocks just because 
so much of our wealth is tied up in our 401k. So I just kind of think we should even out and, and get more involved in real estate for a while. So diversify. Exactly. Like, I, I, like I, we haven't talked about this. I don't know if this is right, but I would think at least like 50% involved in real estate. And, and we got a ways to go before we match our 401k. And before we start investing, probably, you know, more in, in the stock market. So we, we're, we've hit pause on that for a while and we're focused on real estate, but that doesn't mean I don't like stocks. Yeah. And it's still working for us. So it's it, fine. It's it, behind the scenes doing its, its work. It's grown a lot this year. Yeah, it's been a good year. Yeah. When people complain that stocks don't work, it's usually because they have no idea what they're invested in or when stocks go down, they sell. And they're and... looking for like a weekly handout maybe. Yeah, like it's a big picture product. It, huh. it is. A big I kind of think real estate is too. Yeah, and I think like there's the the a pitfall that I think television has gotten people thinking like flipping homes is how you make money in real right. estate. Like I would actually urge you not to do that. Right. Like I think that it's dangerous for a new investor. I think that it's it, it hurts a community a little bit actually because you're jacking up prices on a home in a neighborhood that... It, it could. I mean, on the other hand, you're fixing up the neighborhood. Fixing it up, but you're looking for your return. You have a set number that you're looking to get a return on, and if someone does come in and buy it, now all of a sudden... Like, I just... I I don't love it. I don't love the whole model of flipping... Well, I think I think what what it what's really dangerous about it is when things go south. Like, flipping... I, you remember, like, flipping like houses... Like, on a pig. Like, a lot of people are doing excuse my language, half-assed jobs on these flips. And they look like they're really good. And then all of a sudden someone else is stuck. The problem. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of those TV shows, like especially before the great recession, like 2004 to 2008, like flipping TV shows were really all the rage. And I, a lot of those people who were flipping houses ran into major disasters in 2008 because they were just borrowing on lines of credit and then the house flipping prices went down. They couldn't sell. And well, and I think, like, I think there's probably a ton of money to be made in it if you do it right. Yeah, like for an experienced flipper. So we're watching on television a very experienced flipper that also has the the tools of a television well, I mean, network. Talk, let's talk about the one the one currently. I mean, the most popular one, Chip and Joanna. Like the gains in Waco. Like. They really, 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 really know what they're doing. And it happens to be... But they have a really, really, really bad reputation within Waco. Oh, I don't know about that. The people people who bought their flips? I mean, I think that guy knows exactly what he's doing in construction, and she has a great eye. I do, too. I think what happened is the, the television show itself went haywire. You know what I mean? Like, it got too big. It went viral. And... Yeah, but it just got too big and they started doing too much and they probably, my guess, and I don't know this, my guess is that they had very little to do with a lot of the flips. You think? Yes, because of the growth happening so fast and all of this, they had 10 different things that were happening all at once, like stuff in Target and kids and she's pregnant and he's starting a marathon and what all these different things, like. We were looking to buy an investment property there. I met with an appraiser there that could not say a positive thing about them. And, or an inspector, sorry, not an appraiser. I, I bet he. I have so friends much that live in Waco that a lot of people that live in Waco, as much as 
everyone's benefiting from the the growth. Yeah. They're having a hard time with the product that is being put out. I'm the, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying they are bene- they are benefiting big time. People it's just real easy from the outside things. for us to see that part of it. Like for sure, that town is cleaned up exponentially. Right. So it's so easy to see that, but um, I don't know. So I just think if you are new to investing. Don't jump into flipping. No, you need to really know what you're doing. It's like and... here's our like. Let's see if we can ha- if we have five. I would say, uh, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Save for down payment. Save well, save for emergencies and save for a down payment. Yeah, but I'm just like this. The major steps to getting a your first investment property. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Save, save, save for the down payment. Save for the down payment and include in there. Like a awesome buffer, and kind right. of like you do for yourself that three month, three to six month. You should have that in there too, because you never want to get stung with two months of non rent, and totally. all of a sudden have it start affecting your your own monthly pay. Yep. Um, okay, so save for your for your down payment. Um, Mate, what what percentage down payment should you have if you're buying an investment property? I, minimum twenty five percent. Yep. Like I, I think a lot of this like zero down is just nonsense. No, you. I mean, you can find a lender that will do less than twenty five. Be suspicious. Run the other way. Yeah, you shouldn't do less than twenty five. Um, now I understand like FHA, like some people like buying their personal residence and then all day long, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, like that that theoretically could work. But the idea of like. Buying investment properties with zero down or something like that. Doesn't it? Other people's it, money. It just moron. It, you're you're gonna hurt yourself even if you can do one. Right. Like you're gonna get hit eventually. So and you're gonna hurt your yield. Uh, yeah. So then find a, a realtor, an expert in the in area, that area that you're looking for. Yeah. Right. Like I, I have a really good grasp of. The Kyle area, the Lake Travis B Cave, Austin area, but I am not an expert in Ruidoso, New Mexico, Alabama, or North Carolina. Yeah, you know, like that, and and so I would need to lean on someone else's expertise in those areas. And you can get a general sense from realtor, like you can find out. Okay, I have fifty thousand dollars, so I need to stick in with two hundred thousand dollars. Are there any two hundred thousand dollar properties in Destin, Florida? Like, if that's where you're looking, you could find that out. But you still need right. an agent on the ground who knows what they're doing. And what are your thoughts on like interest rates? Like, buyer beware of interest rates, or just go with it. I mean, like, we're need, obviously low right now. But... No, I think you need to find a lender you can trust, and I also think you need to you need to talk with multiple lenders just so they're competing against each other, and you don't get someone who's ripping you off with with interest rates because. You know, I know when we bought our when we bought our house for the first time, we may have paid a little more in terms of interest rates than yeah. than we should have. So there's there's definitely mortgage lenders out there who they're looking to make a lot of money by charging points and extra interest and things like that that you got to be careful of. You need them competing against each other, um, but but also once you find a, a you know a a broker you're comfortable with who you know is giving you a good interest rate, I mean that's great, and you can go with them. You still need to check every now and then, but you can go with them kind of over and over and over again because it makes things easier. Yeah, and I think kind of the bottom line here is keeping your expectations realistic. As with any investment, like rental property isn't going to make you rich right off the bat. 
You're not going to have a large sum of money coming your way every month. No, but over 20 years, you're going to make some money. Yep. And that's why they're great. And you're going to have a high income yield that, you know, will replace your income over time. And that's what we're looking for. Yep. Yep. So. Exactly. So that's kind of how you build wealth over time. Uh, I think, I think that's a kind of good overview and certainly how we did it. Um, And are doing it. And are, are still doing it. We're not all the way there yet, no. but working at it every day. Something tells me we will never get there. We'll get there? We'll get there. Okay. Until next Promise. time. Promise. Promise.